Insights to Live By, the podcast, where we discover new pearls of wisdom to put into action and enrich the daily lives of others. If you are ready to explore new frontiers, I think you'll find you are in the right place. Welcome to Insights to Live By. I am your host, Matt Zinman, and if you'd be so kind to permit me to share something to which I've been giving a lot of thought, which is that as we transition from this summer of 2020, I've come to a definitive decision that this is truly my absolute favorite time of year. And here near Philadelphia, as the seasons begin to change with crisp mornings and breezy yet warm afternoons, and the leaves begin to turn, it becomes seemingly effortless to just stay in the moment and experience gratitude. It's just awesome to be in the flow and especially to have you join me. So thank you kindly for being here. Now, as I'm hoping is a safe assumption, you already know that in addition to this solo show every Thursday are my special guest episodes every Tuesday, which you've also come to appreciate as being very lighthearted, both in terms of getting to know my guests personally and uncovering their life lessons to enrich daily living. However, what you may not know is the brief departure I made this week to take head-on a topic that's very heavy-hearted and very personal to me. I believe the same is true of most people, which is about suicide awareness and prevention, as well as restoring and maintaining mental well-being in general. And joining me for that conversation is Dr. Lisa Horowitz, a clinical psychologist at the National Institute of Mental Health, as well as a pediatric specialist. So our exchange was nothing less than straight talk, including to help parents and kids, and ultimately to save lives. And so with this being National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, I just want to do my part and truly hope you can make the time to hear that conversation, as well as encourage you to encourage others to do the same. Additionally, I am creating a special page on my website with mental health resources featuring that recording, along with my solo episode about minding your mood health from a few weeks back. And just one final point of reflection, if you have yet to realize, is that my solo conversations are beginning to overlap with recurring themes, be those about how we interpret our everyday experiences through filters, including our mood, our perceptions, and maintaining a certain presence of mind with earned confidence. And we've also begun to explore the dynamics among our relationships and interactions, some of which rely on a dose of prevention and especially to be aware of spiders in our encounters with manipulators and their unsavory 
lack of character. Unifying these themes most recently is last week's topic about managing energy, personally, interpersonally, and universally, including how we can fuel and align our energies physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to perform at our best and enjoy life to the fullest. At the foundation of it all is being a life athlete with optimal self-care through exercise, sleep, nutrition, hydration, and stress management. And as a reminder, is a self-accountability report card developed and which I've now made free as a tool on my website, if I may, mattzinman.com. And this brings our exploration to another somewhat unconventional discovery, that being of the connection between our mind and body, and by extension, their unusual relationship to the natural elements, which, in case you need a refresher, are fire, air, water, and earth. I did say this would be unconventional. In fact, thinking back, it was nearly half a lifetime ago when a profound experience instilled me with a foundation for personal growth that I have relied on ever since. And it happened in Big Sur, California, at an unusual place called the Esalen Institute, which also happens to operate like a commune. And Esalen is set atop the Pacific Cliffs, where the highway winds along the water. And this location easily comes to mind because it's where you see commercials for performance cars. And aside from it being a traditional commune, Esalen's claim to fame is that it's one of the few places on Earth where hot springs meet the ocean. And what makes it more intriguing is a multi-million dollar hot springs bathhouse built halfway down the cliff. So as you can imagine, it's among the most beautiful places I've ever experienced. My main reason for being there was to visit a good friend of mine who worked as a grade school teacher for the kids living on the property. And she kept very busy during the weekdays. And another feature about Esalen is that they host what one might describe as forward-thinking workshops, which back then were referred to as New Age. So I decided to fill my time by signing up for one being offered that week, which was about the mind-body connection and natural movement and motion. So to be honest... I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but did know it was less about sticking a toe in the water as much as diving in head first, which is to say the training was dense and intense. And for one, it was 36 hours over six days with three instructors and only seven participants. So as you might imagine, given that much time, There were a lot of course materials, practice exercises, intimate conversations, and acting out all the trainings along with video work. And if any one thing was easy to tell, it's that I was the odd man out, so to speak. 
My classmates joked about me being a Philly boy, and they were right. At that age, I was a bit of a stereotypical jock, and I wore my baseball cap backwards, and nearly needless to say, I was definitely a foreigner among the Cali natives. And the part that made the workshop even more interesting is that it featured a model made up of the four elements, again, fire, air, water, and earth. And these were illustrated in a four-quadrant grid according to their natural motion. The training also got into how each element correlates with certain personality types and how they interact, especially situationally. So, to say the least, all of this seemed totally flaky at first. It all started simple enough in talking about the mind to clarify that it and the brain are not one in the same. We distinguish the mind as consisting of mental states, such as thoughts, emotions, beliefs, attitudes, and images. And the brain, in contrast, is more like the hardware that allows us to experience these mental states, which can occur as being fully conscious or unconscious. So, Here we can have emotional reactions to situations without being aware of why we are reacting. The general theme is that different mental states can positively or negatively affect our physical health. And for our purposes, we don't need to go down a rabbit hole about the human nervous, endocrine, and immune systems or chemical responses with hormones and neurotransmitters. Everyone is familiar enough with the connection of the body's response to stress, be that muscle tension, pain, high blood pressure, and stomach issues, your butterflies notwithstanding. Physical problems like heart disease can also affect emotions in becoming anxious, depressed, or further stress. Also well established is how a positive outlook on life might help you better handle pain or stress and stay healthier than someone who is less hopeful. Or how physical exercise produces endorphins, which are natural painkillers and help balance mood. So while it's easy enough to identify these examples of the mind-body connection, there's a lot more to it on the practical side with getting into action and particularly how each of us handle stress. This brings us to a combination of approaches to heal the mind, body, and spirit, along with prevention from compromising our well-being. Avoiding the buildup of toxic emotions is also about remaining present and aware. Paying attention allows us to identify emotions as they arise, process them, and choose how we react. And one way to effectively express, feel, and get your feelings out is to talk about them with a trusted friend or therapist or by journaling. And other techniques that focus on the interaction between the body, mind, and behavior include, but are far from limited to, yoga or tai chi, guided imagery, hypnotherapy, biofeedback, prayer, meditation, and mindful breathing practices in general. 
And these can all be valuable tools for increasing awareness of the body's biological processes, such as heart rate and breathing patterns, all to help you manage emotions and mitigate their neurophysiological impacts. Using these mind-body approaches can help you control your mental state and emotional health and create an environment within your body that supports health rather than disease. In short, everything up to that point focused on how our minds can affect how healthy our bodies are, all of which created a foundation for the remaining part of the workshop about the natural elements. As we walk through this together, it's important to know that our exploration was multifaceted and multidimensional. We began by reacquainting ourselves with the natural characteristics of the elements and forging that connection. What's most notable about the rest of this conversation is how it centers around that four-quadrant grid to illustrate the directional motion of each element, which I'll explain momentarily, along with how each one associates with certain personalities. We also discussed the interactions among them and then applied those circumstantially as examples of the elements in motion. And to start us off, I believe there was a brief history lesson about how at one point, like maybe for only 2,000 years or so, just about every modern culture across the world regarded the four elements as the cornerstone of philosophy, science, and medicine with all matter consisting of, you guessed it, fire, air, water, and earth. Now, while modern science primarily physics, have proven these previous theories to be false, and aside from mythology and their association with powerful symbolism, the four elements do retain a certain relevance, including to the mind-body connection in relation to our health and overall well-being. In the example of fire is its association with the sun, both in terms of making life possible and its effect individually in terms of our energy, mood, vitamin D, and its power to charge us. In contrast is how seasonal changes negatively impact our mood and energy. And here's where UV light or heat therapy make fire medicinal. And while fire may be the most primal element, the one most important to our survival is air. Aside from our basic need to breathe is air quality, which, diminished by toxins and pollution, have a negative health impact, whereas direct exposure to fresh, clean air, conscious and more effective breathing, and specific breathing exercises are all a good thing. So suffice to say, our survival is also rather dependent on water. It's the element most of our bodies are made of and literally the lifeblood that flows through us. And we've already covered the importance of hydration, so enough said there. But water is also known for its cleansing properties. Easy examples here are the benefits of hydrotherapy, 
water-based activities, a sauna, and treatment of disease via bathing in natural mineral springs. And since we just happened to be at Esalen, you might guess to where our field trip led us for this discussion. And since when in Rome, one does as others do, I'm not sure the word awkward really covers it, or anything else for that matter. All right, moving on is Earth, which one might argue has something to do with the origin of all life, as well as remains on what we rely, including to grow vegetation and provide sustenance. Some of the proactive healing properties are therapies tied to nature, horticulturally speaking. Also qualifying are interacting with animals and interventions like clay art therapy. That brings us to better understand the diagram at the very heart of our discussion. As mentioned, the four natural elements are positioned and illustrated in respective quadrants. Based on a framework of the mind-body connection, it factors the directional movements and positions of each element as well as associates their distinct personality traits. So there's a lot of detail to hear at once, so just stay with me and visualize the elements in each of the quadrants. Here's where you'll see that water and earth are positioned at the bottom quadrants, just the same as they exist on the ground in nature. The other elements are also consistent with air being in the sky, along with fire, which is known to take a gaseous form as it consumes all in its path. To further clarify, the positions and motions of each element are axis lines pointing backward and forward, as well as downward and upward. Okay? So just to make sure you've got this, fire is in the top right in having an upward and forward trajectory. Air is top left, swirling upward and backward. Earth is in the lower right, representing forward and downward. And water is in the lower left, flowing backward and downward. And you may even find it helpful to draw and refer to this grid as we keep going here. Again, though illustrated as a two-dimensional image, the various ways we explored how the elements interact were multi-dimensional. Now, once we defined the position and motion of the elements, our next task was to experience what it was like to be each of the elements, both through our imagination and action. This was definitely the weirdest part of the course, but I went with it. So, for example, in pretending to be air, we walked around and swirled off one another. If we were water, we repelled one another backward with equal force. As earth, we were swaying trees. Like I said, if nothing else, it was memorable, but it truly was more than that. In fact, the one aspect that has stuck with me most over the years is how we then associated each of the elements with various personas. This is also about when everything seemed to come together and fall into place, which is to say it began to make sense. For example, 
What element do you think associates with someone considered to have a classic type A personality? Well, if not obvious already, that person belongs in the fire quadrant. In fact, these individuals often walk more purposefully and appear to tilt upward and forward when in motion. So the next time you have a layover, look around the airport and notice how people walk. And even if there's some non-type A individuals trying to make their flight, you're still likely to pick them out of the crowd. For those who personify air, think of someone who is more laid back. Things seem to just roll off their shoulders. You might consider them to be flighty and aloof. Being upward and in the backward position in relation to fire, air characterizes those more typically viewed as a type B personality. The stereotypical surfer dude would be air dominant. If there was a conventional version of describing someone as type C, it would be water, which embodies the most passive personality. Their motion can be illustrated by thinking of a canoe. What happens when you give it a push? Naturally, it floats away from you without resistance and in equal force to that push. As with air in the backward quadrant, they are non-confrontational. These individuals fit into the same category as those we might think of as a pushover or at least a compromiser. However, for air, that's more of a conscious decision, whereas it's more of an innate response for those whose element is water dominant. What characterizes our remaining element, earth, is very straightforward. And I do mean that literally. Someone earthy is grounded as if they are deeply and strongly rooted. They are the neutral element who will neither push nor can they be pushed. When confronted, they stand their ground. The subtleties among those in the forward-facing quadrants can also be similar. Those who are fiery might assert their will and are more prone to fly off the handle, while earth-dominant individuals may act as conscientious objectors, yet be more willing to compromise peacefully. Personally, I find it very cool how all of these piece together, how they resonate, and for me, make perfect sense. I have encountered numerous models to distinguish personalities, most typically having to do with fostering teamwork and mitigate conflict in professional settings. Larger companies often invest tens of thousands of dollars in these systems of interpersonal interaction. It might be to label people by different colors or associate every employee with their spirit animal or whatever. I think you get the idea. But at least for me, in representing the interactive movements among the natural elements, this model has stood the test of time. Okay, getting back to our originally scheduled topic about the workshop, we continued to delve even deeper to determine how each of us possesses an innate element with which we are born. This likely fits with our temperament during childhood and possibly into young adulthood. We then further explored how each of us also associates with a secondary element, 
to which we now gravitate or at least becomes a default persona when consciously working to tame our natural behavior. This might be a watery individual who tries to be more assertive or a fiery individual who tries to be less aggressive. It appears accurate to assert that one's ability to alter their dominant element is the result of maturing. This also lends itself to revisiting the debate of nature versus nurture, which you may recall we considered about spiders versus non-spiders. Having said all that, I think what matters above all else is what you think. More to the point, have you identified your core element yet? This would be based on the tendencies of your behavior and responses to what we might technically refer to as external stimuli. My guess is that you've already self-assessed the element you innately personify as well as whether your life experiences with wisdom and maturity have changed the element with which you currently identify. Now, going a step further is to consider the interactions among the elements as they relate to personas. The observation here is that some occur naturally while others are a function of will. Someone considered to be a bully is fiery while their victims tend to be in the opposite quadrant in behaving as water. However, under the right circumstances, water can be very powerful when it comes to taming and extinguishing fire, among all else. Again, this model is very primal when we get right down to it, and yet I think you'll find its simplicity resonates as a useful addition to your mindfulness toolbox. Even so, it's not as though you'll go around pointing at everyone in your life on a daily basis while labeling them as fire or with an earthly maturity or water with a little bit of earth and air character traits, or then again, you might. I did it first. How about taking this whole concept for a spin, like we did with our spider senses exercise? Think of five to ten family members, friends, co-workers, or other people in your life. Are they fire, air, water, or earth? And you shouldn't have to overthink it. You'll likely find it more of a simple and fun exercise than something to do all the time with everyone you meet. Or feel free to go with that. Now, while there's no one way to totally align every character trait with each element, there are certain ones that are strongly related. And if you're still not certain about anyone's natural personality, see if the attributes associated with each element help you to recognize the answer. All right, so here we go. The element fire symbolizes incredible energy, activity, passion, freedom, power, love, vision, anger, strength, will, assertiveness, courage, and dynamism. The characteristics that relate to air are communication, intelligence, perception, knowledge, learning, thinking, imagination, creativity, harmony, and a love of dreaming and also freedom, such as with travel. Those associated with water are healing, stability, strength, adaptability, devotion, 
generosity, and unconditional love. And finally, aligned with earth, is stability, groundedness, physical abundance, nourishment, dependability, security, orderliness, intuition, introspection, balance, prosperity, and wisdom. So, again, have you clarified and clearly identified the natural element you personify? In considering the elements about myself, it's easy to recognize that fire is my natural default, but my disposition in day-to-day life is earth-dominant, which is to say that while I'm driven by a certain passion, intensity, and tenacity, my wife and kids will attest that I have a reservoir of patience and can be maddeningly even keeled. All right, let's keep going here in the context of human interaction and especially when it comes to conflict of interests. It's a simple concept to comprehend that fire plus fire makes more fire. Here's where we explore the various manners in which we would be confronted by fire, such as by an angry person. And we then addressed how to overcome our own natural aggressive reactions by grounding ourselves in that moment. And this being a brewing argument Instead of letting ego get in your own way by focusing on being right about something, it becomes easier and better to manage a situation by making a conscious decision to withdraw, yield, diffuse, whatever you want to call it. It's not about giving up the I'm right part as much as it is accepting that two rights don't make a wrong. There's also how differing perceptions color the same circumstances. As discussed, there are many variables to explain how two people can perceive the very same situation in completely opposite ways and how that can lead to a misunderstanding. In this case, staying carefully in control of aggressive impulses will empower you to overcome your ego and make a choice for the greater good especially your own. This comes down to recognizing a stronger motivation and sensibility of choosing not to argue. This again brings us back to the core skills for effectively managing energy as well as to earned confidence and making forgiveness more about your own well-being than it is accepting the other person's behavior as acceptable. So, in choosing not to argue, here's where you might imagine sparing yourself hours of angry email threads, texts, or social media posts. As the situation continues to get out of control, it may lead to days of rehashing an argument while retelling details to others you think are willing to listen, like spreading fire. This negativity feeds on itself as you continue to relive those events and emotions over and over and over again. All the while, you are unnecessarily imposing a destructive thought pattern and attitude upon yourself and among those closest to you. So consider this another reminder of our personal responsibility to manage our energy and respect others 
by recognizing how we affect one another and minimizing our negative impact on them. This leads us to the opportunity to be the bigger person. Having the forethought and composure to know that it's not worth wasting valuable energy makes it easier to empower yourself to opt for an alternative that will extinguish flames rather than add fuel. And yes, the other person may be even totally out of line, but the keys are to make yourself the priority and recognize the possibility of misperception by giving them the benefit of the doubt. In short, choose reconciliation over retaliation. Now, what I'm saying here is that you might know yourself to have an innately fiery disposition who has learned to remain more balanced and neutral by grounding yourself with an earth-like manner. However, circumstantially, there remains the opportunity to choose to be airy by letting a potential conflict to roll off your shoulders or, if the situation calls for it, to douse the flames instead. Now, how might each of the other elements adapt to behave like water to resolve a conflict? It might play out something along the lines of the following. Listen, person, I certainly see where you're coming from, but there's more than one way to view this situation. I just see it differently. You're absolutely entitled to your own opinion, just as I am. It's clear we don't agree about this, and it'd be best just to leave it at that. I surely respect your position. There's just doesn't seem to be any benefit to going on any further about it. So, to me, that sounds like a fiery person trying to get out of their own way. An alternative to say the same thing is, you know, I understand and respect your point. I simply have a different perspective, so let's leave it at that. This matter-of-fact approach aligns more with earth by smothering the fire or maybe putting it out with water. And the even shorter option is to say, you know, I have no need to debate that point, which is basically an airy way to just blow something off. The result in every case is, well, you know, what are they going to do? You've either handcuffed them with kindness, stood your ground, or diffused the situation. All of these options also work the same when it comes to combating spiders. So how did that feel? Like, aren't you glad you kept your cool? Like, hey, nice going. Here's a bonus example that works especially well in personal relationships. Are you ready for this? All right, here it is. I accept full responsibility for what happened. If something isn't worth a fight, just save yourself by taking the blame, even if you know the other person is at some fault. It's just not worth it. It, it does take some finesse. You still need to be respectful of the person that you love and just acknowledge, you know, like whatever their problem is. But seriously, be sure not to even seem disrespectful and definitely not condescending or contemptuous. Those are relationship killers. So this is the same point as someone saying, pick your battles. And this is a good time to revisit a favorite anecdote. The best way to handle a crisis is to prevent it from happening. If a heated argument can turn into something like an energy cancer, 
then prevention is the cure. My apologies if that felt too harsh, but it's true. The more common schools of thought here involve emotional intelligence and conflict resolution. Exercising maturity is a good thing. One other motive worth mentioning relates back to our mind-body connection and how conflict triggers our innate fight-flight or freeze response. This situation causes the body to release stress hormones that can produce physical pain as well as that inflicted on us psychologically and emotionally. And so there's also another correlation between the fight, flight, or freeze response and the natural elements. In the event of a conflict, your prime element is almost surely fire if you're prone to fight, though it may be earth if you're just not one to back down. If you are more likely to take flight, you're almost surely air or water. If your response is to freeze, then you're either predisposed to be water or if the reason for doing so has less to do with fright as it does to stand your ground, then you are more inclined to be earth. In all cases, whenever possible, just remember to make the practical choice to come to your senses. You will take pride in maintaining your composure and in making a conscious choice to stop and prevent an unnecessary argument rather than get hung up on winning it. Of course, we have our thresholds, but that's the goal. Overall, it remains essential to remind yourself that fighting fire with fire only spreads a blaze. So just remain calm, plant your feet, and reach for the fire extinguisher instead. So for me, now 20 years later, Relying on the elements in motion remains something I turn to more when I encounter life circumstances that warrant self-reflection or conflict resolution. And this might be when I find myself weakening or stressing or swimming against the current or squaring off with a vicious spider. Shifting gears, there's one other memory I'd love to share here about something that happened during this experience. In the workshop, was held in a building that was more like a house among the many others across the Esalen property. And the one where our class was held was right on the edge of the ocean cliff. In fact, that backside of the house had stilts underneath that extended the room halfway over the Pacific. So now that you have a sense of this experience, it should come as no surprise that part of what we did was practice daily meditation. So There I was, sitting on the floor on the far side of the house, my eyes closed and knees crossed, wearing my baseball cap backwards, you know, in true Philly fashion. And one thing I definitely recall in that moment was the distraction during meditation of how much I truly dislike sitting in that position. Like, my knees just don't go that way. And to this day, I really do need to stretch more. Wait, that's probably about when my instructor... Uh, told me to refocus on my breathing and to quiet my mind. Anyway, at that moment all those years ago, I suddenly had a nauseating sensation and could feel vibrations and jolting. And it only lasted for a few seconds but felt much longer. And my impatience was immediate as I continued to feel like it wouldn't stop, not realizing at that very moment it was 
a bona fide California earthquake and had a more powerful quake and epicenter been closer to Big Sur, those stilts could have collapsed right there and then. The Pacific would have swallowed me whole. All right, that was your gratuitous over dramatic point. It's not as though the incident qualifies for my short list of near-death experiences, in case you're wondering. Okay, it's been a lot of fun to share this experience with you as something that continues to resonate for me after all this time. And I hope you find it provides some insights to live by, at least when it comes to understanding and interacting with others as well as within yourself. All right, that does it for me. Be sure to catch next week's special guest episode, which will be back to our regular format, this time with the incredibly dynamic and inspirational Rachel Drunkenmiller, founder and CEO of Unmuted and international thought leader in the field of well-being and employee engagement. In addition to uncovering more about Rachel and the life lessons she'd like to share, we'll discuss how leaders and their teams can be more resilient and connected so that they can navigate the future with confidence, courage, and compassion. For now, and moving forward, I wholeheartedly encourage you to keep strengthening your mind-body connection and amplifying your awareness of the elements in motion. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights to Live By. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Matthew Zinman and join our community at InsightsToLiveBy.com. Wishing you and yours an enriching day, and we'll see you next time.